Well, good morning. I hope you come next week to hear us kick off uh, that series, Psalm 23, as we look into God's Word and see uh, almost word by word uh, what that section of Scripture means uh, to us. Well, it was several years ago, and we were sitting as a staff and realizing that God was blessing our church with numerical growth. I mean, it, we'd gone to two sites, and that had exploded way more than we ever anticipated. And, and I began to think, you know, we, we really need to condense and figure out a way to communicate with people what we're trying to do. Not, not a statement that's a whole page long, but just, is there something, you know, like if you go to Burger King, you know, you can have it your way, you know. If, if you're at work, you think at work, rest or play, I want a Milky Way. You know, you, you think of those little statements. So what was our statement? What were we going to say that we're doing that helps people communicate to each other and us to communicate as we continue to grow? And we were sitting in this, just this long meeting, just praying and asking God to just reveal and this statement that if you've been to LifePoint more than once, you've heard. What are we about? Our church is all about helping people connect with God. And several years ago, that became the lens by which we viewed everything that we do. Does this help connect people with God in the best possible way? Yes, then let's do that. And that's the filter we take everything through. And if we don't feel like this is the best way to connect people with God, we don't do it. So we say no to a lot of good things so we can say yes to the best things that are going to help people get connected to God. And today I want to talk to you about something that, that you need to do to help you get connected to God on an even deeper level. Because ultimately, the connection that we want every person to have at our church is that connection that comes through having a relationship with Jesus Christ understanding that he has the best way for us to live. And when we turn our lives and reorient them in a way that follows him, we are connected with God in a way we couldn't be otherwise. How many people, let's just do a show of hands. How many people are, you get something new, you get like a shelf or something you got to put together and you are the person that first you open up the end that's got the instructions in it. You take them out and you read them before you do anything else. Raise your hand if that's you. Okay. All right. I'm looking to see who that might be. Now the rest of us who are a little more normal, if you get something, you open it up probably on the wrong end or you just rip it down the middle and take things out and start putting them together and just use the instructions as a suggestion if you get stuck. Who does that? That's me right there. There's a lot of things that have spare parts at my house that I have to keep because I'm like, well, nice, the company gave us extra screws. That's so cool or extra fastener or whatever it is I'm putting together or it doesn't work and my wife comes out and, well, did you read page three, section four? And I'm like, of what? The manual? Oh, no. And she does. And then all of a sudden it works. Well, every week we hand out, and the ushers are coming down now, with what essentially is a manual for life. And for those of us like me who struggle with reading manuals, this is a manual you, you need to read. And you need to pay attention to. You can take one of those. It's a Bible. If you don't have one, the ushers will give you one. It's yours to keep. 
If you'd just like to borrow it and read along as I read from some scriptures today, you can do that and leave it in the back on the way out, or you can take it home with you. In the New Testament book of Acts, you can read about the story of how the first century church began, of how the first message of the saving grace of Jesus Christ was preached after his resurrection, after he'd left this earth and gone into heaven. Because things changed then. Before then, he was here in the flesh, and people could see him, touch him, hear him talk. But afterwards, when he ascended back into heaven and his church was established, messages were different because now it required this almost a different kind of faith because you couldn't see him. So you just had to believe based on eyewitnesses, based on testimony, and for us, based on what we read here and what we see out from other people who follow Christ. And there was a group of people who gathered to hear the first message about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and how that related to their lives. The apostles had gathered in the beginnings of the book of Acts and and they were trying to figure out, well, what are we going to do now? Jesus is gone and then his Holy Spirit came upon them and they began to do things that humans shouldn't be able to do. They began to speak in other languages of other countries because people were gathered there from other countries and they began to speak in those languages and people could understand it as they heard them speak and they the, the people were like, what does this mean? And then the apostle Peter stood up in the book of Acts. You can read all through this in chapter 2. And he talked about who this Messiah was. Who this Jesus was. And his audience would have mostly been Jewish people. So they would have been familiar with the scriptures and the Old Testament prophecies. And he began to say, God said he was coming. God said a better way was coming. God said there was going to be a better way to live your life. God said someone who has answers to the things that are in the depths of your soul is coming. And he's going to pour out his spirit upon you and you are going to be changed. And so thousands of people were listening to this message being spoken. And as he spoke the message, he revealed to them this person that was going to come is Jesus, who many of those people would have been in the crowd that was yelling, crucify him. Many of those people would have been the ones that the Bible says turned away and no longer followed him. And there became this moment that's recorded in the book of Acts where they, they realized, oh no, this Jesus is the one that was prophesied about. And now through something different happening, they realize that This Jesus was the way. And if you're a follower of Christ, there was that moment in your life. I remember the moment in my life as an adult when I finally realized this is the way. This is the way I can find meaning and answers in life. And that's what these people had come to the conclusion that They needed to respond to this message about Jesus Christ. And they responded much like we do today. They said, what do we need to do? It says they were cut to the heart. It meant they felt guilty. And they felt guilty and they said, what do we need to do? And what follows is the Apostle Peter telling the first people who asked the question, how do I get in on this message of Jesus Christ and follow him with all of my life? What do I need to do? 
And it was really simple. Here's what he said they needed to do, word for word. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, depending on your religious background, that verse just may have raised a bunch of questions like, well, I know that's what it says. Do you have to do that? Does that mean I have to repent? Does that mean I have to get baptized? Well, what if I die between saying the two words? What if I slip and hit my head and, and you know, die? What if that happens? What if this? What if that? I'm, I'm thinking, why, why even ask those questions? These people did not ask that question. They wanted to know, what do we need to do? Peter stood up and said, here's what you need to do. And in verse 38, or verse 40, they begin to respond. And here's what it says. So he tells them, repent and be baptized. And then it says in verse 40, with many other words he warned them, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So they want to know what they need to do. He told them what they needed to do. He also said, hey, and this, let me tell you more about Jesus. So they heard that. And somewhere in that message, it moved from guilt. It moved from what do we need to do to them saying, we are ready to accept the message of Jesus Christ. They accepted it, that Jesus was the way their sins were going to be forgiven. That his way of life was better than their way of life. That following him was going to lead them to a better place. They accepted it. And what did they do? It says they were baptized. And there's no record of somebody saying, now, wait a minute, now, hold on. Before I do this, you saying I have to do this? Or what if, what if, I, what if I don't want to? No, it was just simple. It was really simple. They wanted to know what to do. He told them what to do. They accepted the message. They did it. And in case you missed it, he's telling them to do two things, two physical acts. Two things. One, repent. Now, when I say the word repent, you probably start thinking all televangelist. When I hear repent, I think of this guy that stood, when I was at Louisiana State University, there was this place called Free Speech Alley at NC State. It's Free Speech or Free Expression Tunnel or something like that. But, but at LSU, it was Free Speech Alley. And there was this guy who stood in Free Speech Alley where everybody else had their causes and their art and whatever else they wanted out there. And this guy only had one, th two things, actually. He had a milk crate and a Bible. And he would get up on that milk crate and he would hold this big, thick Bible and he would yell things to people as they walked by. He got things thrown at him. I think he got slapped a few times, which he kind of deserved it a few times. But he would yell this word out to people. Repent. You need to repent. And in the years I was there, I never saw one person repent. Because that's, they weren't even asking the question. See, to repent, you need to kind of be asking the question first, what do I need to do? Well, they didn't want to know what to do, and he's yelling repent. So a lot of times when we think repent, we think negative, like, are you saying you don't, I'm not living right? Is that what you're saying? I need to repent, so you're saying I'm not living right. Well, well I don't want to change the way I live. So repentance sometimes can be a very negative thing. People feel that, hear that, and they think negative thoughts. But here's all repentance is. Repentance, while it sounds just like this Bible thing, it just means to make a turn, to do a 180. In other words, when, when Peter was saying repent, he's saying, Jesus is over here, here's Jesus. 
And he's saying, come and follow me. But you're not going in his direction. You're going the other direction. And then when you repent, you just turn around and say, Jesus' way is better. So I'm going to go in his direction. That's what repentance is. is turning and going in a new direction. Doing a 180. And that's what Peter was saying. You need to repent. You want to know what to do? Repent. Wouldn't it have been odd when Jesus was calling people to follow him? You can read about that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, how he just came up and said, follow me, and people just left what they were doing, and they followed Jesus. Wouldn't it have been weird if he, he goes up to the fishermen, first people he called to follow him, and he says, follow me, and they go, whoa, whoa hold on a second, Jesus. I've got a better idea. You don't seem to have a job. We got jobs. So why don't you just come on over in our lives and make our lives better, and you come and follow us? And you, since you're Jesus, that means you get us fire insurance, you know, the so you're not in the smoking section for eternity. So come on, Jesus. Just kind of hang out with us. So wouldn't it have been weird if that's what was recorded in Scripture? And so the fishermen asked Jesus to come and follow them and make their lives better. And yet, people do that all the time. People come to Jesus or they'll come, become a Christian, a lot of people say. And they say, you know what? Jesus is going to make my life better. I don't plan on changing anything about my life. I'm still going in this direction. But hey, Jesus, won't you just come and go with me? And that just makes me feel better. Helps me be a better dad, better employee, manage my money better. It's just good stuff. So Jesus, why don't you come and you just follow me? But that's not what repentance is. Repentance is you turn your life in the direction of Jesus. See, I don't need you. If we're going over to food line across the street, I don't need you because I know how to get there. So I don't need to follow you anywhere. So we really don't know where we're going in life, but we think we do. So we just ask Jesus to follow us. When Jesus is saying, follow me, that's why we don't say the word Christian a lot at LifePoint, because really it's about following Christ. And to follow Christ, you have to repent. You have to turn your life 180 degrees and walk in a new direction with new attitudes, new vision, new direction, new way of approaching life. That's what Peter is telling these people they need to do. Repentance is a mean, it, repentance means that I follow Christ and he shows us the way. Sometimes at night I'll click through the channels and come across a televangelist and it always just kind of makes me a little upset at my stomach. You know, when I hear him like, pray this right now, right where you are, say this prayer, accept this, and here's the address where you can send a check, you know. And I think, what about telling people, turn your life and walk in a new direction? Don't just smile and tell me God loves me. What do I need to do? That's what these people want to know. What do we do? Repent, turn and walk in a new direction. Then he said, after you repent, you need to be baptized. Now, that's not a word we use in our culture a lot. But in the first century, baptism or the word baptized was a pretty common word. If two kids would have been out playing and, and dunking each other in the lake, they would have been baptizing each other. Today, if you come to the bash, you will be able to come. I'll be in a dunk tank I'm along with some other staff. If everyone taken any aggression on us, you don't like what we say sometimes, whatever, you can, you can dunk me and I'll get baptized right there in that dunk tank. That's what baptism in the first century, you know, the archaeologists found a pickle recipe from 200, this is true, 200 years before the time of Christ, and the pickle recipe said to baptize a cucumber in vinegar, and it becomes pickle. <laughs> so the word baptism is not this churchy word. 
it was just, it meant to fully make wet. It came from the Greek word baptizo. So how did it come to mean so many different things? Because if you look it up in the dictionary today, it will say to put underwater, to sprinkle, to pour, to make wet. It has different meanings. Well, as the church started to grow, church leaders got this idea that they were going to they were going to sell indulgences. So a sin would cost you some money. So if you wanted to indulge one weekend, you know it was a big party weekend, you would just go and pay. And they would tell you what that sin costs. You'd pay them. You'd get, hey, I'm good. I'm guilt-free because I can go and sin. And so baptism was kind of pushed to the background. Repentance was pushed to the background. And then baptism became this thing that people did later in life just to make sure that God, you know, they figured God would be checking, you know. So they die and they're standing before God and he's opening up. See, William's, well, yep, you did it. Check, you're in. That's, what, that's how they viewed baptism. By the 4th and 5th century, Augustine took the position that Babies were born, and they, when they were born, they inherited the sins of their father. So that meant that they were lost until they were baptized, which meant sprinkling. So then they started sprinkling. And with great protest in the church, babies started being sprinkled. So that was the general church practice to a largely, almost exclusively uneducated group of followers. So the church leaders just said, you must sprinkle the baby. My goodness, you're not educated. You don't have a Bible. And somebody says, your baby's going to go to hell if you don't sprinkle it. I would say, here's my baby. Sprinkle some water on him, please. But then the 17th century comes along and the first English, real English translation was about to get in the hands of people called the King James Version. And they're translating that. And they get to this word in Acts 2 verse 38. It says, repent and hmm, make fully wet, dip underwater. So the translator would have to go to whoever, his boss, and say, yeah, but that's not what we do. Well, let's make up a word. Let's not say immerse. Let's say, let's make up an English word. Let's call it baptism. And then it can mean anything. So that's how the word baptism came to mean all these different things. Because way back, they started changing their practice. So then the translation, it's called a transliteration. The word was made up to describe church practice. In the New Testament book of Peter, the same guy that spoke this message, was letting his followers know, followers of Christ know about, he was talking about Noah and how they were saved by getting into the ark. And, and in it, he gives some information to us about baptism. He says this, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now he says this baptism now saves you. He immediately explain, explains because he probably anticipates people are going to go, you mean I just get dunked in the water and I'm saved? And he says, no, 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 no. It's, it's, not, it's not the act. It's not taking a bath. It's not getting dunked in the water. It's the pledge of your good conscience towards God. It's it, you're saved because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But this baptism, this immersion in water, it, it's the pledge of your conscience towards God. So baptism is a symbol of my pledge to follow Jesus. It's the symbol of a new life. It's the symbol of forgiveness and the symbol of being fully devoted to Christ. 
In Colossians 2, the Apostle Paul said this, Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So he's showing that, okay, when you're buried in baptism, this is a reenactment of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's a symbol of what Jesus does to you when you accept his message. So repent and be baptized. But people get all caught up in it. Now, but when was the moment? Like, when was the, right, I got to know the time. Because I want to know the minimum input I can do here to get by. So I need to know the time. So when I cross the line, I can draw the line and say, I'm not doing anymore. It's kind of like taking a pass-fail class. Anybody ever take a, a pass-or-fail class? I loved them. Because whether you got a 70 or a 95, you still passed. You just, and so I would just write up front and say, what is the minimum? Because I got other classes way more important than this pass-fail class. So I, I just want to know what I got to do to pass. Because whether I get 100% or 70%, I still pass. And a lot of people approach life like that. What, what's the minimum I got to do? All right. This time in the year, a lot of people are getting married. A lot of anniversaries. My wife and I, 20 years last Wednesday. How in the world has she put up with this for that long? I see a lot of you on Facebook, 30-some years, 40 years of being married. And what if I would have approached 20 years ago and said, Cinda, I want to get married, but just let me know the bare minimum I got to do to make you happy. I don't want to do any extra. I just need to know the minimum. She's like, well, it kind of seems like it might be what you're doing. Kidding. (laughs) So what if you did that with your wife? What if you did that with your husband? Just let me know the bare minimum. Just let me do that. That's what it sounds like people say. So now at what point? That's like saying, at what point are you married? At what point? In some cultures, when you hand them a ring and you're engaged, you, to break the engagement, you got to get a certificate of divorce. That's a big deal. So are you married like when you get an engagement ring? Are you married when you walk down the aisle and the pastor or, who, or the officiant says, you're now married and you say, I do, and you kiss and you exchange rings? Is that when you're married? Or is it the wedding night? Is that what makes you married? Or is it just beginning to live a life commitment? What is it? What is marriage? Is it, the, is it the filing at the county? What is it? Well, there's not like that point. There's that second. I mean, nobody has ever asked me that. In 15 years of doing wedding ceremonies, nobody said, where's the, like, I got to know. I got to know the moment. All I know is, if you do those things, you're married. If you repent, you follow Christ in baptism, you are a follower of Jesus Christ. See, a person who believes, when they learn truth, they obey it. Maybe you've never heard this before. Maybe it's the first time you're like, wow, baptism, never, never even considered that. So just do it. If you haven't done it, do it. You need forgiveness. You need the Holy Spirit. And I could talk for another hour about the Holy Spirit. But here's, here's a statement about the Holy Spirit. Because it says, repentance, baptism, uh, sins are forgiven, and you receive gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power behind the inward change. The Holy Spirit is what gives you the power to change. Because to really follow Christ, you've got to have a power beyond yourself to make it through. And that's what his spirit does. So if you're asking Jesus to follow you, hey, Jesus, come along, make my life better. Just come on, just ride with me a little bit. 
You don't even need the Holy Spirit. He won't be any value to you. The Holy Spirit is what enables us to turn and walk in a new direction and do things we couldn't do on our own and say yes to things we couldn't say yes to on our own and say no to things we couldn't say no to on our own. I believe that every person sitting here today is here for a reason. Every week, whether you continue to be drawn back and you don't know why and you don't understand, you're here for a reason. And if you haven't repented and reoriented your life in the direction of Christ, you need to do that. Because when you do that, you say, I believe that he has a better way to live than what I'm living. I believe that he really can wash my spirit in forgiveness. I believe that he really can offer me a better life. And then his spirit gives us the strength to make that turn. And I'm 20 some years into this journey of following Christ. And I still rely on his spirit daily to help me make the turn. When I get my eyes off and start to turn around and expect him to follow me, I use his spirit to get me back on track. And if you haven't been baptized, you need to do it. There's no record of the first century church getting caught up in a debate saying, hey, excuse me, Peter, I, I know you said baptism, and now what is that exactly? Um, so it's getting dunked in the water, but like, what does it do? Like, grandma didn't get baptized, but she knew Jesus, so why do I have to get baptized? And my grandfather was an amazing man, but he, he didn't get, well, a believer responds to truth when they learn it. And maybe this is the first time You've heard that. I remember the Tuesday night in 1988 when I said, this is it, I'm accept this message of Christ, I'm accepting it. I'm turning and reorning my life and, and changing. It was 24 hours later, I, I chose to drive so my grandfather could baptize me, so I chose to wait a day and drive so he could, he could do that. Now what would have happened in the middle? What would have happened? car would have crashed or Jesus would have come back would he have said Donnie gosh you were close like you were like six hours away you were so close you were right there nobody even asked those questions in the first century he said do it and 3,000 of them did it and it's so easy to get caught up with our human reasoning saying yeah but and what about and you're saying this and I'm not sure People, that's normal. But I want you to hear a couple of stories from people who had those same questions and yet said, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to let God's spirit change me and I'm going to follow him in baptism. Take a look at these videos. My decision to get baptized was a physical act of affirmation that said, to myself and everybody in my life that I'm gonna live in God's way because my way wasn't working. Um, up until that point, I had been struggling pretty badly with a uh, addiction to alcohol that was causing a lot of problems in my life. And also, reading the Bible and trying to get 
knowledge out of it as if it was a textbook and trying to learn what it had to tell me using my power of reasoning and thinking. And it wasn't until I, I read a proverb, I love the King James Version, trust in the Lord thy God with all your heart and lean not on thine own understanding. And just that first part of the proverb showed me that I was approaching both of these serious problems the wrong way. And I realized that that distance between my head and my heart, which is only 18 inches, can be so much more. And that's when I made the decision to get baptized, not with an understanding of the entire implications of it, but a willingness to trust with my heart. And I'm seeing my life being transformed in ways I couldn't have imagined. So the first time baptism was brought up in service, I thought to myself, I'd been baptized as a child and why did I need to do it again at this stage of my life? But when I saw the videos that they shared um, in the service, something inside me really stirred. Um, whether it was the, the grins that, that were from ear to ear on folks or, or the tears of joy. And I felt to myself, or said to myself, what am I missing? When I first came to LifePoint and they mentioned baptism, I almost didn't want to come back because I thought of baptism as being one of those cult type programs to get people in. It was just so different and new to me. But I kept coming back to LifePoint and through all the different messages that um, the members and Donnie and everyone would say, um, I came to realize that it, it did have a purpose and a meaning. But I was obviously missing something. So at that point I asked myself, what do I have to lose? Or better yet, what did I have to gain? And yet I'm one of those people that the head stuff gets in the way of the heart stuff and um, I would put all obstacles in my way and reasons why not to. And each and every time that the baptism videos were going on, I too was just washed with emotion as I looked into their eyes, their faces, their smiles, the joy, and I could see that they were gaining something that I wasn't by not going through and being baptized. And my husband was very supportive, and each time there was a sign-up, he was so encouraged, let's do it, let's do it. But I was very hesitant. I, I, I just felt that God knew what was in my heart, and why did I have to do this huge step in public, in front of everybody? That, that's not my style. And um, anyway, 
But one of the last messages um, before we did this very spontaneously, Donnie was putting all the obstacles out of the way. He, he said, you know, we have the shirts, we have the towels. Uh, Rob assured me the water was nice because I knew it was the right thing to do and I knew that this was something that I wanted to have and um, so we did it. We did it that day. We did it that sermon um, and I can't tell you how happy and what a huge step it was for me. And as Rhonda and I were, were being baptized together and um, I emerged from the water and the water was running off my body, I just felt a huge feeling of, of peace and the, the, the guilt that I had suppressed and, and harbored uh, over the years left me and I felt that I was closer to God than I had ever been in my life. And I would just encourage everyone to, to follow their heart and what's in their soul and, and to not go by what's in the head and the obstacles. Um, to do this because it's it's worth it and it's it's a new step on my faith with Christ. And I guess if you're considering uh, being baptized, just ask yourself, you know, what do you have to gain versus what you have to lose? And don't be afraid because God will be with you. So 3,000 people that day in the book of Acts did what Peter said to do. They repented and they were baptized. And if you continue to read through the book of Acts, I challenge you to do it. You will not find a person, not one recorded, that came to know Christ that did not follow him in baptism. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, you need to do that. If you've never repented, you need to do that. You have an opportunity to do that today. At the bash, we'll have the baptistry set up out there. There's already people who have responded over the last couple of weeks that have said, we want to do this. It is that simple. What do we need to do? We need to repent. We need to walk in a new direction, acknowledging that Jesus is the way. And we need to be baptized too to outwardly show our death, burial, and resurrection to our life. And just like Noah and his family crawled into the ark, we'll be crawling into Jesus to shield us and protect us as we go through life. So I'm going to pray and we're going to be dismissed. And uh, some of you will just go on about your day, but there are some of you that need to come down right down here or in the back and talk to us. I'll be down here. Cindy Whiteside will be down here. Sean Whiteside, one of our elders, will be in the back over there. If you want to talk to someone in the back, you can do that. But after I pray and you're dismissed and you go home and get ready to come back to our big bash this afternoon, some of you just need to come and say, I'm ready to do this. Let's pray. God, thank you for the simplicity of your word your manual for life that says what we need to do as we accept your message. God, I pray for the person that is on the edge of their seat that really wants to walk down here or go in the back and talk to us as everyone else is heading out. 
pray give him the strength and courage to do that and be baptized today. I pray this in Jesus' name.